Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn born over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is God's word. Well, good evening. Welcome along. Let's, uh, let's pray as we come to that passage. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, which points us to truths about the Lord Jesus and... Uh, We pray for each of us that you would um, help us to see the greatness of Jesus more clearly than we've seen before. Please, would you lift him up in each of our estimations, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder if you've ever ever put uh, someone on a pedestal and then realised that they're just an ordinary person. Um, a little while ago, probably growing up, one of my childhood heroes was a guy called Michael Liner. Some will know him. He was an Australian rugby player. He was a brilliant player. I remember watching him on the, uh, on the screens in various World Cups, being absolutely amazed uh, by this guy. And then a couple of years ago, I just met him uh, on a train, and there he was, just asleep uh, in front of me. And uh, I was totally, uh, at first, amazed. Here he was in my, in my presence and, uh, and then he sort of woke up, he, he just yawned, he was just a guy in a suit, he had a briefcase, he was just a normal, ordinary guy, and I approached him and spoke to him a, a little bit, and I have to say, I was totally underwhelmed by him in one sense. I imagine the feeling was probably mutual. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I'm reading uh, Johnny Wilkinson's autobiography, there's a rugby theme there, isn't there? But I'm, I'm reading it at the moment, and there again is an extraordinary man when you see him on the screen, when you see him doing things, but I've been reading it. It's been amazing just to see that here is an ordinary guy in many senses who is under the same pressures, anxieties that you and I are. So he recounts how he scuffed a kick when he was about uh, 10 years old. And for the next three months, he could just not get over that. Here is a guy who is just torn up by that. He's an ordinary sort of guy, torn up by the same sort of things, anxieties, concerns, insecurities that you and I have. I guess that's true for most people, in fact all people, that the more that you know about them, actually the more ordinary they become. That is how it is 
with people. You can put them on a pedestal for a while, but actually when you get up close and personal, you realize they're just an ordinary person. I guess uh, uh, the queen, often we think the queen is different. She's extraordinary. Maybe she's the one, if we met her, we would think she is more extraordinary than anyone else. Maybe she, maybe she is, but of course, she is mortal. She is aging. We remember that this year. All the people that we want to put on pedestals are actually ordinary. And yet the person of Jesus Christ, the one that we look at in these pages tonight, is totally different uh, from that. The heart of the Christian faith is not a force, but a person. And the surprising thing is, as you read the pages of Scripture, that Jesus Christ, this carpenter from Nazareth, the more people got to know him, the more extraordinary the claims came about him. It wasn't the way that it is with everyone else. Everyone else, you put them on a pedestal, they just become ordinary. Jesus Christ, the more you know him, the more extraordinary the claims become. You have to build a bigger pedestal. And these uh, pages, words that we have in front of us on the page, are from an early document, an early creed or a hymn about Jesus Christ. And really for us this evening, the point is that we cannot have too high a view of Jesus Christ. In fact, the truth is that everyone in this room has too low a view of Jesus Christ. Whatever your view of Jesus Christ is this evening, these verses guarantee that your view of Jesus Christ is too small. And these verses are written that we might grow in our view. I guess our culture would have a low view of Jesus Christ in many ways. He is a prominent man. But there are other prominent pe- uh, people around, prominent teachers. And Paul wants to expand our horizons this evening so that we see the limitless dimensions of Jesus Christ. So let's uh, dive into the passage and see a couple of things. They're on the sheet if that's helpful for you. The first is that Jesus is supreme. He is supreme. And then the second thing is that we are in him. Jesus, he is supreme. That's the first thing that Paul is saying as he writes to these uh, new Christians in the town of Colossae. He wants to show them, first of all, that the one that they've believed in is supreme. Perhaps that's because either people are already coming to say to them, you need someone else to have fullness, or Paul knows that that is going around at the moment and it might come their way soon. It's a bit of debate as to whether it's arrived in Colossae already or not. But his first point is, and you see verse 15, it's all about him. Verse 15, it starts, he is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, for by him all things were created. And he goes on, he is before all things. He is the head of the body. He is the beginning. All his fullness through him. It's all about him. It's the first word that crops up, he, him. It's all about Jesus. The second word is all That's the other main word in these verses. He's the first born over all creation. Verse 16, by him all things were created. All things, verse 16. He is before all things, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness through him to reconcile himself. All things, he, all. He, all. Jesus, everything. That's his point. He is everything. Now there's so much in these verses Um, some words that need explaining. We're just going to run through it quickly and pick out some of those words and then just step back and see the whole thing. And and there are two parts, really, that these first verses break down into, that Jesus is supreme in creation and in new creation. 
He's supreme in creation. So he is the image of the invisible God. So the Bible says that God is invisible. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. John 4.24, God is spirit. God is invisible. No one has ever seen him. But then Paul says the invisible became visible. Image here means that the character and nature of God are perfectly perfectly shown, revealed, exactly revealed in Jesus Christ. In other words, if you want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. But he goes on, he's the firstborn over all creation. Now that doesn't mean that he's the first to be created. We're told in verse 16 that he created all things, that he himself is uncreated. Now, firstborn here means that he has the right as heir. He's the firstborn in that sense. He's the supreme ruler uh, over all of creation. He's supreme in creation. But then he goes on, Paul goes on to show that he's not just supreme in the creation of physical matter, but he's supreme in the new creation of people. So that's where he goes in verse 17. He's before... All things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. He moves now to the new creation of people, the church. See, God didn't just create a world. He created people. He brought a people to himself, a body, or the church, of which we're a part. That's anyone who's relying on Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the head of that. He's supreme over all of the people. That he's bringing to him. Just like your head uh, controls your body. Just like your body depends on your head. So Jesus Christ is the head of the people. He's supreme in new creation. He's the firstborn of that people. So we're told, verse 18, that he's the firstborn from among the dead. That means he's the most important one to come out of the realm of uh, the dead, we're told in the Bible that um, people like uh, Lazarus were, were raised by Jesus Christ. There are other examples of that. Of course, they died again. Jesus' resurrection was different because he rose never to die again. He was the firstborn. He was supreme over everyone who is brought out of the realm of the dead. Jesus Christ is supreme. He's the firstborn. We'll follow on through the last few verses of that section. Verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. What does that mean? Well, it means that none of God was left to give. None of God was sort of held back. It wasn't as if uh, Jesus was somehow a lesser sort of God. No, God was pleased to have all of his fullness, all of his attributes permanently and fully in Jesus Christ. And through him, verse 20, to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All things. The universe, says the Bible, suffered an enormous disruption when our race turned away from God. And yet in Jesus Christ, all things are put under their rightful head again. doesn't mean that everyone will become a Christian. The rest of Colossians wouldn't say that doesn't mean it in that sense. But all things are brought back under their rightful head through the death of Jesus Christ. 
So Jesus Christ is supreme in creation. He's supreme in new creation in his people. Now, some of you, I guess, work in uh, HR. I wonder what you would make of this CV put on your desk one Monday morning of the carpenter from Nazareth. This is the CV of the carpenter from Nazareth. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Everything was made by him. Everything was made for him. Those are the staggering claims about Jesus, the supreme one. Now why? Why does God want us to know this? Well, it's in verse 18. It's so that in everything Jesus Christ might have the supremacy. The reason that God has done it this way is so that everyone will see how supreme and magnificent Jesus Christ is. So the Bible says that Jesus is not just, he's not just a prominent person. He's preeminent. There's a difference between those. Prominent, you know, one among many, but prominent. Preeminent in a category of one, separate from everything else. And that is where Paul is putting Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is supreme, preeminent above all other things, with no rivals. He's the only one by whom all things were created. He's before all things. He's the head of the body. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Do you see this? All things were made by Jesus Christ. Been away uh, this week. You, you, you fly in. I was, I was away skiing. And you fly in over the Alps. An enormous body of mountains. All things were made by Jesus Christ. Or you're, you're on the ski slopes and a, a snowflake lands uh, on you and you remember that every snowflake is different and all things are made by Jesus Christ. The, the enormous uh, sky, the vista that you look up into and you see the planets far above you. You pick them out. All things were made by Jesus Christ. From the greatest to the smallest. All things. All rulers were made by Jesus Christ and for him. Uh, angels, demons, in, in Colossians, angels are mentioned as if some are sort of looking to them as mediators who can give you more fullness. Well, Paul says they were made by Jesus Christ. Why would you look to them when Jesus Christ is supreme? For us, in, in our day, people would look to different intermediaries who might bring you to God. Well, they were made by Jesus Christ. Why would you look to them? Jesus Christ made Muhammad. Jesus Christ made Buddha. Do you see what is being said about this carpenter from Nazareth? He is none other than the image of the invisible God. Go up, up, up. Go above all of them. Lift up your eyes above the people that you meet day by day. Think of all of the people that you've met this week. That person at the drinks party you were at last night. All of the people that you're on the tube with earlier in the week. The person you spoke to in the, the tele-sales department um, on Friday afternoon. Think of all of those people. And the claim is that Jesus Christ, all things were created by him and for him. Jesus is supreme. So we all look, don't we, for something bigger than us. I, mean, I was doing it this week. As, you, as you, look out, you look out on the mountains and you, 
you suddenly feel small, but you want to look at something bigger than yourself. It's natural. We all do it. Look up at the mountains and then we look up at the stars. That's the next level. But very often we forget to to go the final level and say above all of those is Jesus Christ. He made all of those things. We do it with people. We look for someone bigger than us. We look for landscapes. And Paul is saying go up, up, up. Jesus Christ is supreme over all of those. What do you make of that? What do you make of this person, Jesus Christ? I mean, you might be looking in on the Christian faith. These things are written 30 years or so after Jesus lived and died and rose again. Some people say, well, you know, it was only later in books like John's Gospel that people started to say that Jesus was divine. No, no, no. Right from the start. These were an early creed of the life of Jesus making these extraordinary claims about him as the supreme Lord. Of course, it's true if Jesus rose from the dead, then he really is supreme over all things, if he made all things. But that's the claim. That's the claim on the table to check out for yourself. But what do you make of that if you're a a Christian? Have you just notched Jesus down a little bit in your thinking? Just, Just a notch. You know, he's prominent. Well, Paul says, no, put him back up there. He's preeminent. He's preeminent. He's above all. He's supreme. And he's telling them this. And we'll see this in a minute. For their assurance. He's telling them uh, this. It's, it's his tactic to say, look, let me first of all tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me put him in place first. And then we'll talk about your place. But first of all, look at him. Do you, do you hear that? And sometimes in the Christian life, people say it's a good thing. Uh, ten looks at Jesus Christ and one look at yourself. I mean, you know... How would you get the ratios right on, on that? But that's, that's the point. Look, look at Jesus Christ first of all, before you start looking inside here and how you're doing. Look at Jesus Christ. Jesus is supreme. He is supreme. There's the first thing. But perhaps as I say that, you find all of this talk of supremacy unnerving. I don't know. Unnerving that someone would have such supremacy. Perhaps this is the very thing that you suspected about the Christian faith. Well, listen in as he assures those in him that Jesus Christ used his supremacy to come to this earth to die. I mean, did you notice that as we read through that? Did, um, did verse 20, end of verse 20, surprise you as we read it? Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in things in heaven, by what? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus Christ is supreme over all things, and yet we're talking about his blood. We're talking about his death on the cross uh, in the shame of that. Well, why did the supreme one do that? Well, secondly, we are in him. We are in him. He came so that we might be reunited with God. So Jesus is supreme. He is supreme. Secondly, we are in him. Let's pick it up, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. He's writing to these Christians and he's saying, once you were alienated from God or estranged from God. I don't know if, you've, um, if you know people who are estranged from each other, 
I've got some family friends who the, the, the middle daughter um, is estranged from the rest of the family. Um, she got ill when she was, a, she was a teenager. And the parents looked after her long-term ill. Mother left work just to look after her for, for years and years, just poured her life into her daughter. And the daughter got better again. And then daughter moved away to university. And the only way to describe what happened is that she, she met a guy and his, this guy poisoned her mind against the family. It's the only way to really describe what happened. And now, 10 years on, they are estranged from each other. She will not, she will not speak. She won't turn up, didn't turn up at family wedding recently. I don't know if you know something of that. What it is like to be estranged, alienated. The Bible says that that is what we were like. Our minds were poisoned against God and his goodness. We were estranged from him. We were alienated. And there was no budge on our part to put things right. And so what had to happen was what we see in the next bit. We were enemies of God and we would have stayed that way. We wouldn't acknowledge his right to rule over us. I don't know how you found that, even as we read through verses 15 and, and, and following. I don't know if there was a part of you where your skin just crept up inside of you at the thought that there might be a God supreme over you. And that's the nature of sin. We all do it. We reject God's rule over us. There's nothing more serious if Jesus Christ is supreme than to be estranged from him, to be his enemy. But God came in Jesus Christ to do something about it. And that's what verse 22 says. Now, He has reconciled you. How? By Christ's physical body through death. How did God do it? He reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. The situation was so serious that a death had to happen. It's what we'll remember in a minute. As we share bread and wine, that there was a death that had to happen to bring us back to God. Jesus Christ died. He came to bring us back from estrangement. And so I wonder, just as we, as we share bread and wine in a minute, I wonder if you see the surprise and the mystery of what we're about to do. Does it surprise you? Jesus Christ is supreme, and yet he came to die. If it doesn't surprise us, then, then either we've forgotten how supreme Jesus Christ is, or we've forgotten how low he had to go. Probably one of those two things would be good for us just to meditate on in a minute as we share bread and wine. Jesus Christ came to get us. And so it was like like this. Uh, Imagine uh, Prince William last year didn't marry the lovely Kate Middleton, but took a different path. Imagine that he walked out of his palace. I don't know which palace it would be over there. It would be St. James's Palace. And he walked out of the palace and he took a right and uh, he walked along Pall Mall. He took, a, he took a left up towards Piccadilly Circus. He walked all the way along Shaftesbury Avenue. And he took a left into Soho. And there he found a girl who was a prostitute. And he said, you, set my affection on you. And I bring you back into the palace. And we're going to get married. Goodness. Goodness me. That's what the Bible says Jesus Christ did for us. He's the king of the palace. He's the supreme one. And yet he came to get us. We're not the sort of Kate Middletons, the lovely ones. We're, we're enemies against God. And yet Jesus Christ came to get
get us. And why? Well, last bit, verse 22. To present us holy and blemish-free in his sight, without blame, without accusation, if you continue in your faith. Now, maybe like me, you hear verse 23 and you say, well, why did he have to ruin it like that? It's such a wonderful thing. If there is not a sort of uncertain, this is slightly in the balance now. No, it's, it's Paul saying, and I expect that you, I'm expecting, I'm fully expecting that you will. Uh, we heard that uh, Paul's confident of them. And he's saying, look, keep going, keep going in that. There's not a sense of doubt in the original there. Paul is writing for the assurance of these believers. Because he's supreme, Jesus Christ's forgiveness is also sufficient. And so if you're in him tonight, then these words are true of you. God looks at you and you are presented holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Your forgiveness is full, total, completely done. You're free from accusation. You dread no condemnation. It's all sewn up and done by Jesus Christ. And God wants you to know that. That's why he's saying these words to us. Jesus is supreme and you are in him. Jesus is supreme and you are in him. He wants you to know you're standing ahead of time. As we close and before we share the Lord's Supper, let me tell you of an illustration that I heard recently which struck me. It's a story of a, a father and a daughter and a teacher. I enjoyed this particularly because the teacher is an English literature teacher. I used to teach English and here's, here's how it goes. The, the girl was failing in the, in the class that she was in and uh, it's one of those classes that you could sort of swap out or be downgraded to a class below and she was, she was failing the class, and she was too conscientious, it turned out. She was just working too hard. She was driving herself into the ground, and she was failing it. And she wanted to pull out of the, the course altogether. And she went home to her dad, and uh, she said, look, this is what's going on. And dad said, well, let's go and see the teacher and see what we can do. They go in to see the teacher, and the girl's called Robin. And they explained the situation, and the teacher said, Robin, can I have a word with you uh, just on your own? And she said to Robin, Robin, if... Um, if I was to give you an A grade for this course ahead of time, would you stay on the course? And the girl's not stupid. <laughs> so she says, yes. Yes, I would. And so the teacher said to her, you've got an A. You've got an A. Now I want you to stay on the course. The girl goes out tells her dad about his fantastic news. Dad goes in to talk to the teacher to find out why. And the teacher simply said, I wanted to take away the threat of the bad grades so that Robin would stay on the course and enjoy English literature. That's why I love that, <laughs> that illustration. That's why I love that. I wanted to take away the threat of the bad grade so that you'd stay on the course and enjoy, learn English literature. And God has taken away in Jesus Christ the threat of a bad grade if you're a Christian, God has given you, to see, an A grade. You're presented holy in his sight, free from accusation, without blemish. Jesus Christ is supreme and he's given you an A grade. You're fully in him. So stay there. Stay there. God's taken away the threat of a bad grade so that you might, what? Enjoy him? Live for him? Serve him wholeheartedly because you know that all of that is sewn up in the future. Praising him.
two things as, as we close. How does this work out in, in your life? Look, this knocks you down if, you're, if you want to push yourself up and be proud. But it lifts you up as well. It knocks you down because we all do it. We all want to pump ourselves up as if we're bigger than we actually are. And this says Jesus Christ is the supreme one. He's supreme. Look to him. But it lifts you up as well. I don't know if you have those conversations where someone says to you as a Christian, how are you doing as a Christian? How are you going at the moment? Every so often they say that. That's a good question. And you know what I'm tempted to do? I'm tempted at that moment to look in and to look down. And the answer's not so good when I do that. And these verses say, look out and look up at Jesus Christ. Jesus is supreme and you're in him. So the next time someone asks you, how are you doing? That, that's your answer, really. How are you doing? Well, Jesus Christ is still supreme. He's still in heaven, and I'm still in him. And that's what my hope is. It might be annoying if you said that every time someone asks you that, but that's the, that's the truth from these verses. That's the truth from these verses. You have fullness in Jesus Christ. Jesus is supreme, and you are in him. So do you see, Jesus Christ is not ordinary. He's extraordinary. He's not just prominent. He's preeminent. You can't make a pedestal high enough. And he came out of heaven to get you, to reconcile you by his physical death and to present you as holy in God's sight. Let's pray. Our Father, you've uh, lifted our eyes uh, through your word and we, uh, we pray that you would uh, continue that in this uh, week in our lives, that uh, we would not um, squash uh, Jesus down in our estimation, but we pray that by your spirit you would continue to grow uh, something in us of the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all that we might lift our eyes and see him above all rulers, all authorities, all powers. And that when we see him there and we know that his death was for us, that we might know that he is sufficient and that there is no more payment to be made for our sin because he paid it for us. And we pray that we would therefore humble ourselves in grateful praise of you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.